This series is called Rend the Heavens. In Isaiah 64, the prophet cries out. He sees the stinking mess the world is in. And he says, God, rip open the heavens. What's he saying? His heart is crying out and he's saying, God, we are so influenced by darkness. Everywhere I look, I see wickedness and evil and the effects of demons holding mastery over human beings. And so it's out of this state of heart that Isaiah cries out, Isaiah 64, verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, come down. Church, can we at least agree that we need the heavens where the demonic realm rules, where the influences of darkness are influencing people on earth. We need those heavens to be crushed so that the atmosphere and the influence of God will come down on the earth. Can we agree? Some of you don't seem to be sure. So I'm not going to move on to the next part. No, no, I'm serious. You see, because preaching isn't about giving you some varied emotions as I go. Preaching is about helping to change our thinking so that it agrees with God's thinking. The need for revival is this. Darkness has covered the earth. A great darkness influence the lives of earth's inhabitants. The God of this world, the prince of the air, is influencing people with his character, with his nature, with his ideas, with his feelings, with his emotions. Now Isaiah cries out and says, God, Rip open the heavens. He's not talking about the second and third heavens that are filled with the glory of God. That's not what needs to get ripped open. It's the principalities of darkness that hover over the earth because Adam gave them the right to be there. And you know what? Sometimes they hover over us because we give them the right to be there. And that's why repentance is such an important thing. So Isaiah says, God, come on, punch a hole in the sky. Let earth be influenced by your holy goodness so that men and women will start to act and think. Listen, can you drink a quart of whiskey and not be influenced? Then you cannot. Live under the principalities of darkness as an unsaved person and not be influenced. The cry for revival is the cry that says, God, we need something bigger than our government. Punch a hole in the kingdom of darkness so that the atmosphere is changed and the most ungodliest of people suddenly have an influence from the Holy Ghost and they start to see and think differently. 
Tell me. Amen. Amen. Pray to God. Thank you. I'm always uh, up for learning new things. Thank you. I appreciate where you've come from and where you're coming to. And I am proud of you for the changes you are making in your life. God bless you. God bless you. Revival is not an added extra that if you have the extra money, you get it put in your car. Revival is the necessity like the engine in the engine bay. What's the use of having a fancy car if you don't have the motor? We need revival. And so Isaiah cries out. He says, God, punch a hole in the heavens. So God answers back in the book of Joel. And the book of Joel is about prophecies about forecoming revivals. God's answer to Isaiah how many of you know the book of Joel is all about revival that's going to come and has come and is coming and is here even now? Yes. And so God answers, and this is what God says in Joel chapter 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Bring your thinking, bring your opinions, bring your belief systems, bring your attitudes back and make them line up with me because I never stayed strayed from the truth. But one of us did. Uh, that was way too quiet. I know you're thinking about it. God says, return to me with all of your thoughts. Remember what the heart is? With all of your thoughts, with all of the things that are in the emotion memory of your life. Bring it all back to the truth of my word. With fasting, weeping, and mourning. Now watch what he says. Rend your heart, not your garments. We repent and then we try to, we rend our garments. We try to do things to make up for it. God says, no, that's not repentance. We rend our garments. We show great emotion. Oh! Oh, I'm so sorry. God says, no, that's not repentance. Repentance is rending your heart, and your heart is <clears throat> the center of everything you believe, mentally and emotionally. See, the word to rend, and we did this from the very first sermon, the word to rend means to remove from its place by violence. Drastic action. To split or tear apart or to tear it in pieces. Violently. Vigilantly. So when God says rend your heart, what he's saying is, <laughs> let's put it up on the board because I wrote it out. When God says to rend the heart, it is the deliberate act of rifling through our thoughts and our emotions to eradicate every belief system and emotion that doesn't conform with God's truth. Yeah. Rending your heart is not an emotion. It's not saying I'm sorry. It's not making 10,000 promises. 
God, if you forgive me, I'll never do it again. Right there. You need to repent again because you just lied. <laughs> See, you're laughing because you've been there. And I've been there. That's why it can even come up in my imagination. To rend the heart is the deliberate act of rifling through everything we've concluded, everything we've settled, every conclusion we've come to about life, and every emotion we've attached to that trauma, to that decision, to that mental uh, belief system. It's a matter of deliberately rifling through every one of those things in our data banks and saying, this doesn't line up with what God says. This doesn't line up with what God says. That's not a good attitude. No, 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 no. That's the wrong disposition. You believe what about Hispanic people? Sorry, God said he created us in his image. Do you know some of you hate the brown version of God? And that's a sin. And some of you hate the white version of God. And that's a sin. And some of us hate the Asian version of God. And that's a sin. Oh, but you don't know what they did to me. You see, the enemy came and put cuts in your glasses. And that has become your reference point of fact. And God says, if you take the glasses all off long enough, you'll see the fact of my word. And that's, that's what we need to repent of, where our belief system has differed from God's belief system. Can I get an amen? amen. The word repentance in the Greek is metaneia. And it means to bring about a change of mind. You can cry all you want. The Bible says Esau, though he sought to get the blessing back with tears. I come from the Italian Pentecostal church. We would pray and cry tears this long. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Esau sought the blessing with tears. Oh, God, God, I'm so sorry. He wasn't sorry for how he thought. He was sorry that now there's an emotion on him that is making him feel uncomfortable and he doesn't like it. And he just wants that emotion to be lifted and know that God's not upset with him. Sometimes our repentance goes as far as trying to create a feel-good situation between God and us again. And God says, no, repentance is a lot deeper than that. Repentance isn't about how you perceive you and me are getting on. Repentance is about where we change direction from God's belief system. So repentance is about bringing about a change of mind. So I already told you this. We're going to put it on the screen to rend the heart. So Joel says, rend your heart. 
to rend the heart, you can take pictures of it. I've got the notes here for you. Is the deliberate act of rifling through our thoughts and our emotions to eradicate every belief system. Throw those sunglasses out. You know all the scars? You know all the hurts, all the wounds? I remember when I was a little boy. My grandparents lived in Corona, New York. It was predominantly a, a Italian-American ethnic area. I'm going to say some very honest things here, and I'm not having a shot at anyone. Just hear, hear this white boy's story for a minute. I remember one day where on the front porch of my grandparents' house, and my older brother was next to me, and, and, and these two, what is the politically correct word? Two African-American, two black boys? I, I can honestly say I had no conscious thought system or belief system that was in any way contrary or negative about people of color. But I'm looking at them because I didn't grow up with black kids around me. I grew up mostly with white kids. And I remember looking... And, and, and just watching these two kids. They could have been two white kids. I was watching them walk down the street. I was about seven years old. And all of a sudden, one of the kids said to me, What you looking at, whitey? Okay, whitey, because I'm white. So I'm thinking, how do I respond? I didn't know any racial slurs. I didn't know there were racial slurs. I didn't even want to answer with a racial slur. All I... All I know is I felt like maybe this is a negative thing. What are you looking at, Whitey? And so the best answer I could come back with was nothing, chocolate milk. <laughs> I'm being honest. I didn't mean any evil by it. I guess he called me whitey because I'm white, so the only thing I could think of that was brown was chocolate milk. And I like chocolate milk. So I said, nothing, chocolate milk. My brother elbowed me. See, he had a few years on me, so his glasses already got a few scratches on him. That was one of my first experiences. Only a few years later, Mom and dad moved us from New York all the way to Australia. Now, you all know, you all try to imitate at times how Australians talk, the accent. G'day, mate. How you doing? All right? I lived there for 29 years, but I remember the very first day walking to school, we were going to be enrolled. Do you know that up against... The cyclone fence of an Australian school, two little American boys stand out like glow in the dark. You see, because back then, especially all the kids in school, you had to wear gray short pants and not just any color gray. You had to have a school uniform. And you wore gray socks with a colored band around the top of the socks, which was the color of your school a white shirt, and a gray sweater with the V-neck covered 
Well, here's me and my brother wearing typical New York clothes. I'm nine years old. We're walking towards the school with my mother. And they looked at us and they said, you're American. And we said, yes, we're American. And one kid said, came running to the fence and says, do you know Elvis? <laughs> and we were kids. And I said, no. And next thing I know, I, we heard a chorus of, Yankee, go home. Yankee, go home. Yankee, go home. And all through my life, I've been ridiculed either because I'm Italian or an American in Australia. I think it's hilarious. God sends me, an American preacher, to the country rural region of Australia. I mean, the biggest misfit you could possibly imagine. Here's a kid from New York living in a town of 30,000 Farmers are one step away from a farmer, and we had so little in common. I remember one time as a little boy, my father was the pastor of an Italian Pentecostal church, and uh, a man in our church, he was a gardener for the city, and they were taking all the workers on a bus to a picnic, and uh, I was invited to go along. Well, one of the big bosses got drunk, and uh, my little Italian friend, mind you, I'm Italian, but I'm American. To, to all the Aussies, I was American. I had this Yankee accent, okay? Uh, New York especially. And, and so my friend and I are laughing and talking to each other. And this Aussie uh, boss, one of the managers, was drunk off his face. And he thought we were talking about him and laughing at him. And he comes up to us, and he doesn't address my Italian friend who talks with broken Italian accent. He approached the Yank. And out of nowhere, he slapped me across the face. He had huge hands. I remember crying and going home and telling my parents and telling my friend's father, and no one ever did a thing. I remember going through one experience after another that affirmed that I'm nothing and I'm no one. I was born sickly. There's three boys, three children in my parents' household. My oldest brother, he was the smart one. My second oldest brother, he was the charismatic, uh, the one with all the character, and he had long curly eyelashes. And me, I was the one who was allergic to water from birth. And my parents couldn't wash me with water. They had to bathe me in in baby oil. I couldn't wean at my mother's breasts. I couldn't take formula. They had to feed me goat's milk. I, I have memories of my childhood being dragged down the altar every time there was a prayer time at the altar. My parents would be crying and they'd be dragging me and I'm thinking, what the heck are you crying for? I'm the one who's being made a spectacle of. I didn't understand what was going on, but their hearts were breaking because their boy, their little boy, if they could have changed places with me, they would have. I didn't know all that. I didn't understand it. I didn't even know why they were bringing me out the front. 
I was this skinny, sickly little kid. And, and, and I remember going through this routine over and over again. And I grew up with tremendous fear and inferiority. And I learned that the one way I got attention was by people feeling sorry for me. And so that was the only attention I could get. So I started to enjoy negative attention. And I learned that people feeling sorry for me at least got me noticed. By the time I reached the age of about 14, God spoke to me. And he said, if you ever want to get healed of all the stuff in your life, you have to stop agreeing with the spirit of sympathy and negative attention. Because that's not how I think of you. And until you break from that thinking and until you stop liking that, you know, people would say little negative condescending things about me. Oh, poor kid. You know, and I go, yeah, yeah, go stroke, stroke me some more. Rub me a little bit more. And God said, you got to hate it. You see, sin is where our belief system differs from God's belief system. And so I believed that I was inferior. I believed that I had nothing to offer. I believed that I was a mess. The first words out of God's mouth after he created mankind, he steps back and he goes, wow, that's good. Now you got to understand how we as humans conceive of good and how God conceives of good, two different things. A religious leader came to Jesus and said, good teacher, how do I get eternal life? God said, stop, let's start with good. Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. You see, when God says good, it's perfect. When you and I say good, it's, eh, yeah, okay, it's good. God's good is perfect. And God said, it's good. And God said, and God says many things in scriptures about you, and they're not negative, they're positive. Hello? Yeah. Racism is a belief system, and it's not just white to black, it's black to white, and it's brown to a different shade of brown and to a different shade of brown again. I've preached through South America, and I want to tell you, every Latin nation has got an issue with the nation next to them. And it's not just Latinos. I remember going to Africa to do, be part of a crusade, and I flew into South Africa, and I'm in the airport, and um, here was this uh, Afrikan. Is that a politically correct phrase? An Afrikan. And he had an airport uniform. He was one of the attendants. And uh, here was this uh, very white, ginger-haired uh, businessman walking through the airport. And the young man said something to him. And this guy flared up and ripped him, uh, ripped him to pieces. Just adjusting my language. <laughs> ripped him to pieces. And everything inside of me wanted to punch the white guy out. I get on another plane. We go to Zambia. And we get on a bus. 
and we got an eight-hour trip on a non-paved road to a town called Nindola, second largest town in Zambia. And we were all looking forward to the fact that the missionary director said there's a supermarket halfway. When we get there, you can get out and go to the supermarket. Well, I'm thinking supermarket American style. So I'm waiting for, you know, uh, the community to build up and houses and gas stations and little shops and then a big supermarket in the middle of nowhere. No traffic lights. I mean, it was just dirt roads. In the middle of nowhere, there was a building probably a quarter the size of this half of the building. Okay? That was the supermarket. Where the houses? <laughs> and this is what I remember. I went in the store. Everything was sold in sacks, sacks of grain. You didn't have boxes of Kellogg's cornflakes. All the stuff I expected to see. I come out, and I'm waiting for the rest of the team, and here's this African guy dressed commensurate with his pay, poor. And out comes another African lady who has a lighter, slightly lighter color of skin than him, but also African. And she had a Mercedes. She must have had to have driven two hours to get home because, I mean, there were no houses anywhere. And she reads this guy the riot act because he was standing four feet in front of the the door, and she had to walk near him. And then I wanted to do to her what I wanted to do to the white guy. And then I realized, you're on a missionary crusade. You need to repent. <laughs> the problem isn't racism. The problem is sin. And the problem is that we have opinions that are different than God's word. And every opinion that doesn't agree with God's word is a stinking opinion. It's the truth. An opinion, let's put this on the screen, Tony. Uh, an opinion is a view or judgment formed about something that isn't necessarily based on truth. So now I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't have any opinions. God doesn't have any opinions. God is the embodiment of every right thought. There is no truth outside of God. God doesn't tell the truth. He is the truth. We have opinions. And they're not necessarily based on fact. God doesn't have opinions. You notice one of God's names is I am. He, everything about God is, a tru is the truth. Okay? So we see sin. Uh, so any thought that differs even ever so slightly from God's truth is a deception and a foundation for a demonic stronghold. 
You're dark brown and you don't like people that are light brown. You have just given the devil a platform to build a stronghold. You're white and you don't like dark people. I don't care if you like my message or not. I'm going to speak the truth. You're, you're white and you don't like dark people. You just put a platform out here. You know, just like people build little birdhouses and put them in the tree to attract trees. We're building birdhouses all the time to attract demons. Every time we believe something, you've been scarred by a white person, you got an attitude about white people, guess what? Some of them are stupid. And I've seen some brown people that are foolish. And I've seen some black people that are foolish. But the moment I judge everybody by one color, or I judge everybody by one attribute, the shape of their nose or the shape of their eyes, I am out of agreement with God. Because God treats every man as an individual and every person as an individual. He knows us by name. And some of us do right and some of us do wrong, irrespective of color, irrespective of money, irrespective of nationality. We all have red blood and we all are the agents of sin from the past. What we all need to do is get born again and become sons of God. And I trust all of you are. Okay? But anything I believe, if I believe everyone is better than me and I'm useless, I am in sin. Because God said, no, wait a minute. How can you call yourself useless when the price I paid to redeem you is the blood of my son Jesus Christ? How can you believe and feel rejection when I couldn't shout louder, I love you! Amen. When I had my arms stretched out on the cross. See, everything we believe that is different than what God says, that's the beginning of sin. Because that's sin right there. Good preaching, Pastor Ron. We, people struggle with the same sin over and over again because we see sin as an action. God sees sin as anything that we believe that doesn't line up with his truth. We repent of the things we do. We need to repent of the things we believe that lead to the actions we do. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew chapter 5. So, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm going to tell you that anyone who looks at a woman and looks at her differently than God would look at her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Guess what? Sin isn't the action. It's the belief system that will lead you to a wrong action. A wrong belief system will lead you to a wrong action. You say, Pastor, okay, it's three weeks of repentance. Yeah. Because I'm praying, and as I'm praying, I'm asking God, can I go on to the next sermon? He says, no. 
I have to desensitize this people. And he's been desensitizing me. And so the more I've been studying, the more I'm crying. I'm weeping. I'm breaking down. I'm seeing things I never saw before in me. And I'm saying, God, I'm so sorry. And I'm tracing everything back to where I believe something that's different than what the Word of God tells me. So, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, the minute you look at a woman, it says lustfully. The minute you look at a woman in a way that God doesn't. See, put it in that context, that applies to everything. Not just racism. One white person looking at another person and thinking, that person is beneath me. They're stupid. I'm so much better. Slap that thing out of your head before that thing slaps you in the face in public. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Action. I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully has already committed adultery. Belief system. Wow. Next verse. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And throw it away. This is Jesus. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Pretty heavy. Right? I mean, it, thank God he wasn't literal. Because all of us would be walking around like this right now. Did he mean it? Well, you know what? Matthew repeats this a second time. This is uh, chapter what? Chapter 5, right? Chapter 18. He says it all over again. Chapter 18, the beginning of the book, the end of the book. If anyone causes one of these little ones, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck be drowned to the depths of the sea. Next verse. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Verse 8. Give me verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life, eternity maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into hell. <laughs> so now we can't even walk around like this. Now we're going to be walking around like this here and we're going to be limping because we've had to cut our feet off. Because I don't know about you. My hands have offended me. My feet have taken me places where I should not have gone. My eyes have offended me. My tongue has offended me. It's offended people. My ears have offended me. So what's Jesus talking about? Rend your heart. He's talking about an attitude of diligence, an attitude of determination, an attitude of, come on, rend your heart. Rifle through your belief system, your memory system, your emotions, and every conclusion you've come to in life about anything that is contrary to God. 
Do you know because God is the truth, anything we believe that is even just a one hair's breadth different will lead us on a course of destruction. And that's why the enemy was so big on selling them from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's interesting when you read the word good and you read the word evil in the Hebrew in that passage in Genesis, good is all that which is agreeable with God and evil is all that which disagrees with God. So now, I don't just ask God to forgive me for the thing I did wrong that I feel bad about and I want to feel good again. I say, God, I've sinned against people and I've sinned against you. And it all started because I came into a belief system that is different than your belief system. And I offended you and none of that would have happened and none of those people would have gotten hurt if I didn't disagree with you in the first place. How many of you are starting to look at repentance a little differently? Anybody? There was this gentleman and he had a drinking problem. And he'd fall off the wagon and he'd come to church once he was sober again and you know, did a whole heap of things, and he'd get up in public, and he'd feel terrible. Everybody would know about it, and he'd get up and say, God, please take these spider webs out of my life. I keep getting caught up in the cobwebs. Forgive me, God. I'm sorry. A month later, same thing. Two weeks later, same thing. And he'd pray the same thing. God, get rid. I keep getting caught in this spider's web. And finally, one day, he's praying in public. And the pastor said, and God, while you're at it, kill the spider. <laughs> the point is that if we really want to deal with the issue, we need to go to the root of the problem. Yeah. Someone gets, a man gets drunk, he comes home. He's yelling, he's screaming, he smashes the TV, the kids go hiding, he hits the wife. In the morning, the influence of evil has lifted. And he sees the kids are hiding around the corner afraid of dad. And he's sad because his kids are scared of him. He looks at the TV, $500 smashed. He looks at his wife, she has a black eye. What's repentance? He looks at his wife and he says, oh, I could get charged with assault and battery. God, forgive me, help me beat this thing. Is that repentance? Or is he just trying to make sure he doesn't do something again so that he doesn't have to pay a price? He sees the kids hiding around the corner and he, he feels bad. God, oh, I don't want my kids to think of me like that. Is that repentance? 
You see, he should repent for hitting his wife. He should repent for verbally abusing his wife. He should repent for terrorizing the house that the kids now have got trauma inside of them. And we all know what we're talking about because we've all been there, whether it's alcohol or something else. We live in this world, and we know how much it stinks. Rewind. We live in this world, and we know how much it stinks. None of us are beyond it. But by the blood of Jesus, we're better than it now. Come on. He's given us a new nature. So what's repentance? He looks at the TV. That was a lot of hours working at $8 an hour. That's a $500 TV. God, I'm so sorry. You got to get... Okay. Let's take all those things together. Is that repentance? No. No. Repentance, while we need to be remorseful about all those things, biblical repentance is going back and saying, what made me take that drink? Well, you see, I was at work, and the boss yelled at me, and I started hearing all the words from my childhood. You're a failure. You're never going to make it. You only earn $8 an hour, and you can't even do that right. You're an absolute waste of humanity. I heard my dad say it over and over again. As soon as my boss corrected me at work, I started to feel all this, I'm useless. And the only way I can forget about it and numb the pain is to crawl inside of a bottle. Sin number one, you believed what another broken person told you rather than believing what your creator tells you. And if we didn't stray from what God believes on that point, we wouldn't be down here with kids hiding around the corner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get the story. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Everyone, just look at me again. What's the whole point? Point one is repentance. Why? For God to rend the heavens. For God to rend the realm of influence of darkness, we have to rend our hearts so that the darkness isn't hovering over us first. When we rend our hearts and repent for every belief system that is contrary to God's word, then those strongholds start breaking off of us. And when they start breaking off of us as individuals and as a church, wow, something starts to happen. And it starts to break in the atmosphere and the heavens over the church. And all of a sudden... People start to come into this place not under the influence of you and me who still have belief systems contrary to God. But they start to come into an atmosphere of you and me who are now bringing every negative thought, every inferior thought, every fearful thought, every prejudiced thought, every unforgiving thought, every hateful thought, every lustful thought. Back in submission to the thoughts of God. And all of a sudden, instead of having platforms for demons, 
birdhouses in the trees around us that attract demons. There are platforms of the Holy Spirit of God. And when we, as His bride, start renewing our minds with the washing of the Word of God, and as we start to become sensitive to Him, the Holy Spirit, He's not a dove. In reality, He's a person. He's not a dove. He's not a fire. Would you please think of him as the third person of the Trinity? The Bible calls him he, him, not it. He's not thing like on the Adams family. He's not an influence. He is the third person of the Trinity. And I've started talking to him. And I've started telling him, I'm sorry for not always listening. And I'm sorry for desecrating his holy presence at times. And I'm sorry. And I've started going through all the things that I didn't feel five weeks ago. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is pulling blinders off and layers off. And he's making my heart softer. To his heart. And all I can think is, Holy Spirit, don't leave me alone. I want you every time my, my, my thought goes off the wall and it disagrees with you, disagrees with God. Open my eyes, shake me, let me see it. I want to drop to my knees and say, I'm sorry. Do you know that the more I become sensitive to how he thinks and feels, the more I start to hear in the Spirit and see in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit. If my church which is called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their opinions, their opinions, their belief systems, their justifications, turn from their wicked ways and turn back to me, the truth. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So I'm going to tell you something, and I believe I won't make any enemies by saying this. But the bottom line, if we're going to look at the bottom line, the bottom line is go vote. It doesn't matter who wins. The problem with America is the church. And the sooner we turn from belief systems that are contrary to God's and we humble ourselves I know it's more fun to blame something else but judgment will always start first with the sons of God and the sooner we start to get in line with God's word and God's heart the sooner 
the Holy Spirit. You know that person, the holy presence of God? This world's in a mess because it is influenced by the presence of evil. Church, we've got the guy who's called the Holy Spirit. And if we allow him to influence us so that we genuinely repent and get our attitudes right, the Holy Spirit in the church will influence those who aren't in the church. Isaiah said, rend the heavens. God said, rend your heart. I'm not going to make an altar call so that you can come out the front and cry and then feel better. I'm going to end the service here so that you go home and think. And I want the Word of God to gnaw at you, not with condemnation, I, I don't have one ounce of condemnation on me, and I'm not trying to make you feel condemned. But I see more clearly now than I have ever seen. We need revival. America needs the church to get revival. Because when the church has revival, the influence of darkness subsides, and the influence of God is on the rise.